And we are live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Matthew Paris Show. I'm your host, Matthew Paris. My special guest today is Dan Brosnan. He comes from the fan club. He's a huge Vikings fan, but we're happy to have him here. <laughs> I'm from Houston, so I got to say it right. Uh, Dan, how are you? Uh, thanks for coming on the show, my man. And I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on here and talk some sports with you, Matt. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited, too. Thanks for coming in. Uh, we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff. We're going to talk about the NFL. We're going to talk about the rookie quarterbacks. Preseason is coming along. We're also going to get into a little bit of college football, too, and Johnny Menzel. Uh, his Netflix documentary was just released and a few other things. So let's get into it. Let's start with the NFL. Uh, Dan. We have the rookie quarterbacks coming in uh, for the preseason. You know, Bryce Young did somewhat okay for the Carolina Panthers. C.J. Stroud had a sort of a good series with the Houston Texans. Anthony Richardson sort of had a good series with the Indianapolis Colts. What is your take on the rookie quarterbacks and the uh, NFL preseason so far? Uh, it is week one of the preseason, so I'm not going to look too much into it. Um, some of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen in the game, like Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning had horrible rookie years and they turned mm -hmm. it around. But I think with the preseason games, you want to see the progress. You want to see them develop from game one to game two. Like, okay, I looked kind of bad game one, but maybe I'll look a little bit less bad. Those defensive schemes, like they're going to pick apart rookies. Uh, I, I heard, uh, Patrick Mahomes say one time that it wasn't until like year three that he really knew the playbook and he really knew where the defenders were going and stuff. It's kind of just shows you how good he is, but like it takes you a while to really understand all the terminology and the schemes, everything they're throwing at you. So the first, you know, I kind of argue with myself about rookie quarterbacks because part of me thinks, you know, you want to develop them and get them out there. But because there's so many things that they're learning on the fly, you you can actually stunt their growth. It it happens sometimes. Um, we we've talked about this before. Like how big, how different of a situation would it be if we saw Zach Wilson go to the 49ers? Right. Mm -hmm. It's all about where you go and the right guy in your ear. Because like Shanahan can take anybody. Seems like and turn him into a, a decent starting quarterback. So. It is one of those things with the rookies. Sometimes you got to fall into the right organization. Sometimes you need to develop a little bit, and it's going to take time. So I don't really want to grill any of these rookies right away because, like, I mean, we, we just said that the only guy that looked decent was the guy from the Raiders, and he was like the fifth or sixth quarterback taken. So, and is that really the guy that we think is going to be the best out of all of them? I don't know. So the, the, quarterback class is weird every four or five years you get that undrafted guy uh that that's a starter now every couple of years you you get those first rounders that are just completely bust flops uh quarterback is so weird and it's so unpredictable because if people like if people knew how to predict the quarterback they'd always take the right one right it's the <laughs> the weirdest thing absolutely yeah no i agree with you dan um tom brady was a diamond in the rough when he was drafted to New England, he was the 199th pick in the sixth round. And look what he came. He's be, he became the GOAT. You know, he's right, right up there with Joe Montana as the greatest quarterback, if not the one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, the rookie quarterbacks, you have to remember, these guys were big in college. They were huge in college. 
they were uh, they were stars in college. They they knew how to play uh, stuff like that. But you, you have to remember now you're in the next level. You're a professional. You represent a town. You represent everybody in the town. You represent the fan base. You represent the NFL. These guys have a lot on their shoulders, press and stuff like that. Where um, I don't know, maybe the psychology might get to them a little bit, and and that will come to settle down over time when they get on the field and actually do it, and and the coaches and and everyone else, the psychologists, the sports talk to them and everything. Um, but you're right. Look, C.J. Stroud. I'm from Houston, so I got to talk about the Texans. C.J. Stroud. His first series uh, coming in was not very good. He he had one completed pass. It was for eight yards. He did do some uh, stuff on his on the ground game. He ran a little bit when he when the pocket was uh, collapsing, so he got a few yards from running. But um, he actually told D'Amico Ryan's when D'Amico Ryan's took him out, uh, he said, "Hey, let me have one more series where I can go in there and and you know kind of right my wrongs a little bit." And D'Amico said, "No." He said, "No, kids, sit down. You know, let's uh, let's put in Davis Mills. Let's put in um, let's put in Case Keenum. Case Keenum did really well. Of course, he's a veteran. His thirteenth year in the NFL. But if we look at C.J. Stroud, everybody in Houston's got to relax. You know, we're looking at one game as a pro quarterback in his yeah. preseason, where hopefully this guy is going to be looked upon as our franchise quarterback. He is, and it's going to be a fifteen to twenty year career. You know what I mean? So." They're just kind of feeling it out. It's very different than practice, you know, where sometimes at practice the quarterbacks are not allowed to get hit. So CJ is uh, – there was one where I was watching the game, and he uh, threw it, and it was, a, it was a pick. It was intercepted. And I knew exactly, Dan, I knew exactly what he was uh, doing. I, I told him – I was watching the, the game with my dad. I told my dad, I said, look where he's throwing. He's looking exactly where he's throwing to. As he as he goes back for the pass, so the strong safety came over and just intercepted it because you know the safety looked at his eyes and said he's looking exactly where he's throwing to. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna go yeah. and pick this off. You know he's an open book. Yeah, yeah, and that and even the announcer said it. So it comes with just being a rookie. Um, Anthony Richardson for the Indianapolis Colts had kind of a rough time too. He threw a. He threw a uh, very high over the receivers' heads. As a matter of fact, one of the receivers who was wide open, he w- he meant to throw it to him, but he threw it so high. He kind of looked at him and he said, "Where are you throwing it to?" And the co- and the coach said, "You got to understand, he's a rookie. You know, he's this is his first game, so let's let's give him some time here. You know, but they're just, the coaches are just looking to lower the the roster. So uh, Bryce Young, Bryce Young had a rough time. Did you see the the hit on Bryce Young, the linebacker? I think it was the middle linebacker who just ran. There was a wide open hole, and Young was back for pass, and the middle linebacker just ran through there and hit him, just knocked him on his butt. And Bryce Young much- is the small guy, right? He's the yeah. dude that's like normal, like five nine, five ten. Okay, well that that is something big. I bet all Carolina Panther fans were holding their breath when that happened. Yeah, no, he put a good hit on him, and I and I heard he looked down. And he said, "Welcome to the NFL, Rook." So, <laughs> yes, I love it. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know about him. I, that's one guy. I I wasn't tell you the truth. I wasn't in love with with the quarterback class this year, and mm-hmm. the only guy I really loved that I thought was a project is Will Levis, just because. He's he's the Josh Allen of the bunch. He could be nothing, or in a few years he could be an MVP. Like he's got the arm, he's got the athleticism. But there, 
not saying the other guys like won't be anything. Some of these guys might be, you know, um, all-star caliber, Pro Bowl caliber. But at the same time, there were a lot of questions. There was no clear-cut favorite this year. They're like, oh, that guy's going to be a stud. They all have their own issues. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Uh, let's move on to a couple of the other rookies in uh, different positions. Uh, the receivers. The receivers did well. Uh, Tank Dell, who uh, came from the University of Houston, he was drafted to the uh, Texans, Houston, Texas. He did real well. Boy, that guy's got some speed on him. He's not very tall, but he's got some speed on him. There was a uh, there was one series where CJ went back to pass and tank. I think he ran the eight route, which is pretty much just cut a little bit and straight ahead. And uh, he outran the corner uh, of the other team, who's a veteran. So uh, Tank Dell really turned on the wheels. So, but he did get his first touchdown in the preseason. Uh, Dell did. He, uh, I think it was uh, Davis Mills who threw to him. CJ was out by that point, but Davis Mills threw to him. And he threw it to the corner, and Tank Dell went in and got his touchdown. So, congratulations to Tank Dell on getting his first NFL touchdown in preseason. That's great. Um, so, yeah, what do, you, what do you think? I mean, the defense, the defense for the Texans looked good too. Will Anderson looked pretty pretty sharp for what it was. You know, uh, he's our uh, linebacker who we drafted. Uh, what about the Vikings? What do the Vikings uh, draft picks look like? Did you did you watch that game? Yeah, so I, I got to actually sit down and watch it. And our first round draft pick was a receiver, Jordan Addison. And he is the perfect complement to Justin Jefferson. He He's basically what Thielen was three, four years ago. A burner that can run really good routes, but it's not the fastest, but good route runner and can always get that separation. I was watching uh, some of the training camp videos. He was breaking everybody's ankles in uh in the preseason. He had one catch or he had two catches, but one didn't count and the quarterback threw it way behind him, mm -hmm. but he dove like stop, reached back and caught it and it like it hit the ground like it didn't count, but it was just how crazy that he was able to stop his like control his whole body stop and move all the way back and dive down. And like he, he had it. It just, it was such a bad throw. The guy shouldn't even caught like Ben even near. And, and I was like, Oh my God, he almost caught that. And then he had one that was like a toe tapper, which looked unreal. Like literally there was like maybe two inches of span, like one second to just get it, reel it and get out of bounds. And I, I watched that like five times. It's like, okay, this guy's special. He can run routes. All he has to do is be adequate too because he's going to get the ball. Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson are going to – those two guys will get doubled at some point, mm -hmm. meaning that this young, fresh rookie that, that can get separation, got some speed, got some great hands, he's going to be open. And that's really what's deadly about the Vikings. Um, everyone's been talking about Dalvin Cook, but I honestly – I'm not too concerned about losing Dalvin Cook. I think mm -hmm. Alexander Madison and the rest of these unproven backs that want to prove something and get their name out, I think that we're going to be okay, especially with when you look at all the top teams that win the Super Bowl. They don't have a big name running back because they're able to use that money to use it other places. I think the last team that won a Super Bowl with like a top five paid running back was back in like – 2014 with the Seahawks or something. It yeah. was it was a long time ago, and and I love Dalvin Cook, but over the years, every year his numbers get a little worse, kind of mm -hmm. like your Zeke, 
And last year, he was tackled the most times behind the line of scrimmage, meaning he's home run or he's getting tackled all the way back here. There's no, like, I don't know, there's no in-between. Uh, he's either going to get you a first down or you, it's going to be third and long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, who do you have? Who do the Vikings have for the uh, first game? Uh, the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers, yeah. But no Tom Brady this time. Yeah, no, no, no Tom Brady. Who do they – Um, is it Baker Mayfield or Trask? It's Baker Mayfield. Yeah. yeah. They trade for Mayfield to get Mayfield over there. And yeah. I don't I don't think that's horrible. Like it's one of those where as a Viking fan, I'm I feel confident, honestly. But I don't want to overlook this. And last year we like I mean, Baker's not the best quarterback, but our defense was so bad last year. We had met we we gave up 385 yards to Mac Jones, and then Daniel Jones had two games where he turned into Danny Dimes. They call him Danny Dimes now because of the Vikings. Dude just went crazy. So yes, we have to we have to improve our defense. I've said this on a few shows now. If they can just move from the 30th ranked defense to the 17th, we will mm-hmm. win 14 games this year. We have plenty of offensive firepower to score points. If we can just stop like be right in the middle, if we can just be a mediocre defense, you'll see some improvement in this team. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think some of the uh, underdog teams are going to start to come up a little bit now. You know, I think the Texans are going to start to come up a little bit. I think the Vikings are going to start to come up a little bit. Um, I think the Patriots are are going down a little bit, although I think Mac Jones is still the uh, quarterback over there, right? Yep, yep. And they actually just signed Ezekiel Elliott, so that's kind of interesting. I know, yeah. Elliot, Elliot left uh, Dallas. <laughs> yeah, now he's uh, is a Patriot. Him and Stevenson actually make kind of a deadly combo. You got your speed, and then you got your your your, your thunder, your lightning and thunder combination. I kind of mm. like it. Yeah, yeah. So I know Bill Belichick is trying to uh, reload, not rebuild, but reload. Yes. So, yeah. So how how many games do you see the Vikings winning this season? Um. Honestly, I think we're a playoff team. Like I said before, if they have a good defense, 14, I like if, if our defense sucks again, we could drop down to eight. Honestly, mm-hmm. like we, we're in the middle. I don't think we're under eight or nine. We, like we're, there's too much talent on the dang team to be like bad. Yeah. So I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm going with my gut that tells me the defense got better. I'm saying we're, we're going to be like, the one or two seed in the NFC, we're going to shock a few teams because no one's thinking about the Vikings. Like the, the team that won the division last year is being picked by nobody to win the division. And everyone's picking the lions, which I bet the Vikings love that put all the pressure on the Vikings and forget. We even did anything last year. Like go ahead. And we went out on a sour note last year. Like we still have something to prove. Right now, I'm saying the Vikings are coming back even harder. And I, I like KOC. I like her coach. It wasn't just like, a, and who knows? Obviously, we need to see more. But I, I feel like this just wasn't one year like a flash in the pan. I think this guy actually has some good offensive schemes and mm-hmm. needs some help on the defensive side. If he can get that, I think the guy's going to be a great play caller for years. Um, 
and this is a big prove-it year for Kirk Cousins. So I think the team is going to do everything to try to win a Super Bowl this year. And if we don't, Kirk Cousins is going to be gone, I can guarantee it. There's no – the way that it's all set up, they never gave him an extension. This is a prove-it year. And mm-hmm. and Mr. Kirk Cousins loves his guaranteed money. So if you want more of that, go out and do something. It's We know Kirk Cousins is great, but he – Fits in there with like that Jared Goff, that Dak, that like glorified, really good game manager. Like you're good, you do great, but you're not you're you're not Mahomes. You 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 don't lose the game for your team most of the time, but you don't win the game for your team most of the time. So that's something that you know when you and not every team has a Mahomes has a has like a Josh Allen. So you have to get creative around your guy and we've got creative and put together a great offense. So he looks great. It's just, it's hard when you're paying Kirk cousins, all that money when you're paying him like Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers makes less now that he took his pay cut than Kirk cousins like crazy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, how do you feel about Aaron Rodgers in the New York Jets? I love it. I love it. I, being a Viking fan, hated the Packers, but always respected Aaron Rodgers and felt bad. I thought the Packers were such a shitty organization that they were holding him back for years. Like, Mm -hmm. think about it. He never got a first-round pick. He literally went his whole, like, and then as soon as he gets to New York, he takes the pay cut because he trusts them. And I said, why would he take a pay cut for Green Bay when they've literally shown him that they'll never give him help? So, yeah, I'll take the pay cut so you guys can use the money and you'll just get more defensive guys. You won't get no, you won't bring in nobody for me. So, yeah, I, but as soon as they did that, they they signed Alvin Cook. Like, as soon as they they got that through, okay, you you take a pay cut, We'll bring in a stud this year and we'll have some more money in the next couple of years to re-sign some of the good players you'd like. So, yes, yeah. Aaron Rodgers, is he a prima donna? Is he kind of a drama king? Yeah, for sure. But a lot of the things that he was feeling were valid and just because I would feel like that crap. Ever since they drafted Jordan Love and didn't tell him and, and refused – years like in the same draft and after that to just go out and get a talented receiver of any kind a first round talent like how come we always like and I think Devontae Adams is the outlier but that's the reason why they never wanted to get him a first rounder oh we'll just make you develop a stud but that doesn't always happen you don't always get lucky like I know the Vikings had Stefan Diggs in the fourth round but that doesn't always happen like you get a stud in the fourth fifth round every once in a while but doesn't doesn't mean anything and the Packers for years needed more weapons around Rodgers and they didn't do that I mean and this past year really showed like the best options they had were rookies yeah and 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 I think they're like okay like I'm done with this y'all are giving me the bare minimum every year I'm going to go to New York where I will make more money being a bigger market and they're mm-hmm. going to treat me better. Yeah. Yeah. New York is a huge market for the NFL. It's a, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the second, or excuse me. It's the first largest city in the United States. It's a huge market out there. It's a major city, uh, green Bay, Wisconsin, you know, it's, you know, the Packers put that, uh, town on the map, but still, um, yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers had a great time in uh, Green Bay. He did get a Super Bowl for him, one Super Bowl, and he was the successor to Brett Favre. But, 
yeah, but people got to move on, Dan. People got to move on. And you're right. New York, the Jets gave him a, a better deal, and that's why he said, hey, man, I'm out here. I think he wanted to leave a couple of years ago, honestly. Oh, yeah. I think he sure. was looking to bail. He was yeah. trying to get out a while ago. I mean, he was calling them, them out. And I think the big problem is they just don't have an owner. They just don't have nobody you can just grab by, by the collar and say, do this. Like, I'm your yeah. star. Do it. Like we saw with Jerry Jones. He was just bullied into paying Zach Martin his money. Like, yeah. because what was he going to do? He came to him and said, I'm a 99 <laughs> on Madden. Run me my check. And guess what? He wasn't going to lose his guy, so he ran him the check. Nobody, there's no one to talk to. And so they, like, the Packers are a good, well-managed organization. No one's hating on that. But it's so mom and pop and old school that they're, and no ownership. It's it's hard, man. I feel like, and the GM is basically the owner, and he makes all of the plays and I don't really like their GM, honestly. Like I feel yeah. like he drafts good talent on defense, but he never like do when you have Aaron Rodgers, you have a talent like that. You got to invest everything into it. And they instead invested in the future. And if Jared or, or uh, uh, Jordan love isn't like a stud dude, yeah. it's going to be dark times in green Bay. Oh, well, and not only that, Jordan Love has got to live up to the legacy of not only Brett Favre, but also Aaron Rodgers there, you know? So he's got to oh, yeah. be a successor to Rodgers and Favre. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, what are the chances that you have three in a row? Exactly. I mean, it's very rare, right, that you have three Hall of Fame quarterbacks on the same team when one that, retires. That would never happen. I've never seen – no, yeah, it just doesn't happen. Let alone, Like, it's hard to have two, like – from passing it because you know Tom Brady passed it off to Mac Jones at the Patriots, but I don't think Mac Jones is anywhere near Tom Brady. I mean, he's a good starter, but yeah. like, yeah, you're not. Yeah, you don't ever see one guy like be great and then pass it off to the next like that. So yeah, I just don't see it happening. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's move on real quick. Uh, we're gonna talk about some other stuff. Dan, did you happen to catch the Johnny Manziel uh, football documentary on Netflix? Johnny Football. So I did not get to watch the whole thing, but I got to see the trailer and I got to see some of the promo of him talking about it on Pat McAfee. And it looks awesome. And mm -hmm. it, it really puts things into perspective. If you want anything in life, you got to work for it. And you could be the most talented, but hard work beats talent when talent don't work hard. Johnny Manziel just thought he was just physically gifted and he was just going to ace it through life. And he, he decided that he was going to be self-destructive and no matter mm -hmm. what he did, he was going to keep fueling that fire until, mm -hmm. you know, he, he hit rock bottom. And I think for a guy like that, it was probably the best thing to ever happen to him. I know it sounds crazy, but some people got to hit the bottom so they can be built back up. And the way that he was living and thinking and and I, I'm not to say, you know, who what's right, wrong, but it just wasn't right in my mind. Like, like not judging, but the way he was acting, it was self-destructive. He wasn't thinking about himself and his family and his future, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I watched a little bit of it. It's a very interesting take on a guy who lived up to his celebrity status. I mean, he really lived up to his celebrity status. Uh when he, I remember one parts of the documentary, and they interviewed a bunch. They interviewed his family. They interviewed his dad, Paul Manziel, and his mom, Michelle Manziel. 
Um, the guy came from uh, Kerrville, Kerrville, Texas, tiny town, you know, kind of a hunting town. Um, okay. Yeah, he went to Ivy, to Ivy High School. And he set records there, but nobody really knew who he was because Kerrville was such a small town in Texas, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. He, re- he got recruited from two Texas schools. He never got recruited from the University of Texas uh, Longhorns, which originally he wanted to go there. And they told him no because you come from, you know, a tiny, tiny town. And I don't know if you could play with the big boys. That was kind of their, their attitude at the time, right? So he, it's interesting because in the early days, he was recruited by two Texas schools. He was recruited by Rice, and he's recruited by Baylor. And uh, but he got, and then he he committed to an out of state school. He committed to Oregon, the Oregon Ducks. And then once um, once A and M, somebody from the A and M athletic office said you should take a look at this kid because he's pretty he's pretty good. He's mobile, right? This is before the whole partying thing and the celebrity status that he gained, right? So A and M was interested. And then, uh, of course, he flipped his commitment to A&M. Once he got to Texas A&M, though, he became the first freshman to win the Heisman Trophy. And after that, I mean, he it told was me, over. Yeah, it was over. Like, once the Johnny football came, thing came out in the press, he definitely lived up to that. Every time, every time after a game at A&M, he would go out and party. And that was it. Like, he would go and booze it up at clubs with his buddies yeah. and stuff like that. Um, it was very interesting, kind of the uh, the the behind the scenes of it, uh, because he was doing drugs at A and M. He was doing cocaine oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So to get around that, the fourth string quarterback during the the piss testing and the drug testing, uh, the fourth string they got the fourth string quarterback to piss in the bottle for him. That's what I heard. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. They got the four-string quarterback at AM to piss in the bottle for him because he was more of a clean-cut type of guy. You know, he he uh, he didn't do drugs or anything like that. Um, what what else was interesting too is that he had his own business, uh, autograph business. So every time somebody asked him for an autograph, he would charge them money for it. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well then people w- would drive like. 100 miles to go to it like he said yeah. he pulled up one time there was like hundreds of people in line he made like 30 grand off autographs he said that was over once i learned i could make money like that i was i was i was living fast yeah yeah so he had his own autograph business at texas a&m and it continued all the way when he got drafted to the cleveland browns he um so yeah he made like 30 30 grand off it he, uh, I believe it was 2013, the summer of 2013, which it was called the summer of Johnny football. <laughs> did you get that part in yeah, the, in the I, documentary I, series? I didn't watch it, but I know, like, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an autograph business. They were partying the whole time. They were doing cocaine the whole time. Um, they were doing all sorts of drugs the whole time. And uh, he was really living it up. He, he was drinking a lot. He was boozing it up to the point where I think Paul, his dad, Paul Manziel, said, I can't control him anymore. You know, he's completely gone off the deep end. Um, so, yeah, that was called the summer of uh, Johnny football, which was 2013. Once he got drafted, once he got drafted to the Cleveland Browns, he uh, he said immediately it was it was life in the fast lane in Cleveland once he got there you know you remember he was at that uh the baseball game 
the, the Cleveland oh, Guardians, yeah. basically. Of course, yeah. back then it was the Indians, but the Cleveland yeah, Guardians. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, so they introduced them there. And uh, I think he had like he had like two beers in his hand or something. <laughs> so he um, so it was very fascinating. They had Cliff Kingsbury at the time. It was the offensive coordinator, I believe, for AM. I think he was only there for one season. And that was during the Manziel era. Um, but yeah, so if anybody watching this, you know, go and check it out. It's a fascinating look at a guy, his downward spiral. But he's trying to pull himself up now. He went to his. Uh, he went back to his parents' house, I heard, in Kerrville, and literally told his dad and his mom, he said, I got nowhere to go. So, And then Manziel, once they interviewed him, he did say, he came out and he said he was bipolar. He said, I was, I'm bipolar. He goes there, and there was a couple of times where he thought about suicide, um, which oh, is, yeah, yeah terrible thing. Like when you lost everything, you're at the bottom, I can yeah. I guarantee. Yeah, so I, I know he, after Cleveland – and, you know, the whole debacle and everything came out in the press about his drug use. I think he went to the Canadian Football League for a while. He tried to play there for a while, but it was more of the same. And in Canada, they told him, they said, bud, you got to settle down here. You're going to go. Uh, and, it, and they did. And then he went to, remember that uh, that fan-owned football league, the Alliance <laughs> Football League or something? Remember when he went there? Yeah. That was funny. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he went there. He uh, And he said in the press, too, after the game, uh, in that they lost a game that he that he was the starting quarterback in. He said, uh, "Winner, are you still there? What happened? All right. Well, we had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties here, but he said in the uh, hang on, you still there? Okay." But uh, Manziel said in the press that um, uh, win or lose, we booze. So, um, so yeah, so I don't – the guy was an interesting guy. The guy was an interesting guy. So, uh, but now he has a club in College Station called Johnny Manziel's Money Bar, which will open in, I believe, September next month during the A&M's, uh, the Aggies' first uh, home game uh, in college football. So, uh We'll we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. Again, we wish Manzel, Johnny Manzel, all the best. Uh, but it's an interesting documentary. Make sure you guys take a look at it. Um, moving on, let's talk about the uh, 30th anniversary of the Sandlot. Uh, very classic movie, baseball movie. I'm a former athlete. I know Dan was a former athlete. As soon as we can get him back on, I don't know what happened here. Um, so, uh, so yeah, 30th anniversary of Sandlot. You know, we all had our sandlot growing up. We all had the um, the uh, patch of grass that we get our friends together and go play uh, go play football or baseball or whatnot. It's the thirtieth year, so the writer director David Mickey Evans came out. You know, they had a screen at the actual place where they filmed the sandlot, which is located in Utah. They had a great uh, great time there. The fans came out. The locals came out. Uh, they had a Q and A with the cast and crew, and everybody had a had fun. Um, it's interesting because the development of that script, the original title was actually called the boys of summer. And, uh, yeah. So, and then they, uh, changed it because I believe they were another studio was developing a movie called the boys of summer and they had to change it. So they called it the Sandlot, which worked. Um, they had a straight to uh, DVD sequel called the Sandlot two. It didn't have quite as an effect as the first movie, but, uh, yeah. So, 
it's a great movie, 30th anniversary. Uh, every parent should show their kids that. Um, every uh, sports team should watch it. It's, it's, it deals with, you know, the brotherhood on the field. It deals with the good times. Uh, let's move on real quick. We are going to talk about um, the psychology of sports, you know, the, the mind of sports. So um, athletes have, uh, you know, are very competitive people and they, and the mind is, uh, you know, a very, um, is a great thing. So they need to um, uh, talk about the uh, certain athletes where, where LeBron James, you know, there's psychology in, in professional sports now. Um, LeBron James goes to a psychologist sometimes and tells him that he doesn't have confidence in his three-point shooting. So it's the little things that matter, right? So um, the mindset of an athlete is a very interesting thing. I wrote a book about it called An Athlete's Journey and the light that shines upon the players that kind of deals with it. They're on Amazon. So I need everybody to, uh, you know, check it out. Check it out on Amazon. It's a great read. Uh, other than that, you know, we're trying to get Dan back, but I don't know what's, what's going on here. So, um, so yeah, uh, let's talk about the United States women's national team. The United States women's national soccer team had the 2023 world cup and they lost against Sweden. So they are out now. Um, they, it ended in dramatic fashion, uh, Megan Raponi and stuff like that, uh, you know, couldn't get it done. So she is now going to retire. We wish her all the best, but, uh, it ended actually at zero zero. And then we had PKs and, the United States was actually in the lead and then Sweden came back and won and blocked the last, uh, well, no, they, uh, they shot the last ball. It went in, barely went in and crossed the line. And, uh, so yeah, so Sweden moves on and, uh, the U S women's team is out of it. You know, they did win the world cup two years in a, you know, I'm sorry, uh, two times in a row. And, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, we wish the U.S. women's team all the best. We we wish Sweden all the best, and they're going to move on. So, so yeah, so that's it. That's all we have for today in uh, the Matthew Paris show. I don't know what happened here. I don't know where Dan went. So, so yeah. So before we uh, leave, though, make sure you hit that little subscribe button. It's always a great time here on the Matthew Paris show. And you guys take care. Okay, bye.